0: my fellow peanuts and welcome to anyone new to the channel or to my podcast. This podcast covers true crime cases that may not be suitable for young listeners. There may be graphic and violent content, listener discretion is advised. There's a lot to say about serial killers and the games that they play, but Robert Hansen would terrorize the women in Alaska and play a perverse game of cat and mouse with them. Today's podcast is about Alaska in case you missed that and our serial killer is Robert Hansen. He would have a grisly nickname of the Butcher Baker. There's even a movie featuring John Cusack and Nicolas Cage about him, and that's called The Frozen Ground. But I'd like to start us at the beginning. Now, Robert was born on February fifteenth, nineteen 1939, in Esteville, Iowa. He would be the oldest of three children, and his parents were Edna and Christian Hansen. His dad would own a bakery, which he would work out during his childhood. But this was anything but a positive and happy experience for him. It was expected that Robert would become a baker, like his father. But during documentaries that I've watched, it's mentioned that's not what he wanted. But he had very little choice in the matter. But that actually contradicts what he would do later in his life. He would end up opening a bakery in Anchorage, Alaska. So I think they may have gotten that information incorrect, Or maybe it was just something he ended up doing. To follow in his father's footsteps perhaps i'm not entirely sure the family would move for a period of time to richmond california in 1942 but they'd actually end up moving back to iowa in 1949 and deciding to live in a town called pocahontas his father was described as overbearing and a big old mean guy he would be a strict disciplinarian while he was being forced to work at the bakery his father would take the time to ridicule him mock him and his mum would do very little to protect him from this kind of treatment. I think this is very telling of the era that they grew up in and would often shape children's beliefs into something along the lines of uh, the men are in charge and the the women are weak and compliant. I don't necessarily agree with this, but I think for serial killers, their perception is already askew from the get-go and so their perception would turn into a combative and situationally based on what they experience. So I'm just wondering if this perception of his childhood is already starting to be askew. During one of his interviews with the police, Robert would speak on his childhood and he'd say he knew he needed help when he was growing up. He just had no one to go to. And a direct quote from him was, if I had help back then, there would probably be some people still alive today. This is really quite frightening, as I think Robert was aware already from this young age that he had murderous tendencies. Just a really frightening thought. Is this, do most serial killers know that something's not quite right about them from when they're kids? I mean, it's, it's really, it's food for thought, right? Because mental health is viewed so differently these days. And are we trying to learn from the past? And are we trying to make it better? I guess time will tell given we've only really started to establish that mental health is so required. Um, While growing up, Robert was described as extremely shy. He would also have a stutter and he'd shy away from others as a result of this. He also had really bad acne that would leave him with scarring on his face and Robert would eventually say that he felt like his face was seen as one big pimple. Uh, Something that I find quite disturbing but certainly not unheard of in this time, he was born left-handed and his parents would force him to use his right hand. It has me pondering and wondering of the thought if his parents were religious. And the reason that I ask this is, and I I mean that I mention it, sorry, is that in certain religions uh, being left-handed, it's actually the hands of the devil or to be evil. Food for thought again. Uh, In high school, he would say that his stutter would get even worse. He was described as quiet and a loner. During this particular time in his life, he even struggled further with his relationship with his father and he would find it really difficult to engage with his peers. And through reading and watching documentaries, people have said that he struggled to build friendships and relationships. He had very few friends and the ones that he did have they actually mentioned that they never felt like he was close to them and they never really understood him and they never really knew him to be like to put it in layman's terms. However, there was one thing that could get Robert to non-stop start talking. He loved to talk about hunting and archery, two of his favorite things. Now, it was commented that he used these hobbies in particular as an escape from his home environment. Due to his stutter and his overall awkwardness socially, He's said to have been bullied. Now, the people that would bully him and reject him the most would be the girls. Though, in the documentary in particular that I watched, it did mention that the girls weren't necessarily as bad as what he remembered, but perhaps how he perceived it himself. But I do remember high school for myself, and definitely kids can be cruel, right? I don't think we will ever really know what happened to Robert But what we do know is that a hate and a rage was developing over time towards women in particular. Though I've got to say, in my honest opinion, I think this this hate genuinely started with his mum. Being that she was compliant to the way his father treated him, he possibly, he felt like he wasn't nurtured. He didn't feel like he was cared about or he was looked after. However it developed, it would definitely set him on a path where Robert would ultimately spend more time alone and over the coming years, he would become a really enthusiastic game hunter. He'd channel that rage and all those fantasies of this alleged revenge into a sport of killing animals. Now, later in his life, that prey in particular would change from animals, but that game itself would certainly stay the same. Um, After high school, in order to try and break away from his father, I think possibly it was also to stop the inevitable of taking over his father's bakery, but I, you know, again, making assumptions. He would end up serving time with the U S army reserve in 1957. It was during this time he would have his first encounter with a sex worker. It was at this time that he really realized how much he enjoyed that feeling of control he had over a woman. And I think around this time, given the reading that I've done myself about serial killers, is probably around about the time where Robert's sad and sick sexual fantasies began about possibly hurting women. Now, this is pure speculation, but given what was coming, there is always a build-up to these murders. Now, I can't find out at all uh, as to why he was discharged from the Army Reserves, but he was, and it was only after a year. Now, Robert would then go back to working in his father's bakery. But he would also work part-time as a drill instructor at the police academy in Pocahontas. It was around 1960 that he would meet his first wife and he would fall in love and he would marry her. I'm really not quite sure what set off the event in 1960 and it certainly started out with a bang. At the ripe age of 21, he would get his perceived revenge on the way he was treated in high school. Now, he would burn down the Pocahontas County Board of Education's bus garage. I'm not sure these really accomplished what he'd set out to do because one of his friends would end up turning on him and telling the police that he committed this crime and he'd be sent to prison for three years. Now, his wife was so appalled and disgusted by this action itself, she would file for divorce. While Robert was in prison, the prison psychiatrist uh, would diagnose him with bipolar with periodic schizophrenic episodes, and he would also mention that Robert had infantile personality and was obsessed with seeking revenge on people who he thought wronged him in some way. I think that's really, really cool that someone was already able to diagnose what was going on with him, but I wanted a better understanding of what the infantile personality involved. So uh, this was the explanation in Google and a couple of other things. It's a lack of emotional development, low tolerances of stress and anxiety, an inability to accept personal responsibility and a reliance on age-appropriate defence mechanisms. It seems like I'm guessing, and this is just, again, speculation from what I've read and all that kind of stuff, it seems to me that it's almost like you're stuck at a certain age, right, and you don't have the capability to manage your anger and manage your emotions correctly, like you're almost stuck at that age. I think that's what it means, but again, speculation. But it is amazing to me that someone that's been diagnosed with all of this, he'd end up only serving 20 months of his sentence. And I would think surely you would want in some way to try and get Robert the help he desperately needed, but it feels like the system failed him a little bit on this one. And it keeps surprising me through these podcasts on how much the system failed to protect victims of these crimes that were about to begin. It just seems like there were so many signs, right? And it just seems like there's no one there to help them. Now, after his release from jail, he would meet Darla Henriksen, uh, who he would end up marrying in 1963. Robert would continue working various jobs, including working in his father's bakery again. And in 1967, he decided that he and his wife would move to Anchorage, Alaska. Uh, It really did seem like that Alaska agreed with the Hanson family. It's been reported that he was treated really well by the people. And Robert proved to be quite the outdoorsman and he was a really good hunter. But in 1969, 70 and 71, he had four animals entered into Pope and Young's trophy hunting rewards. Um, So they would remove them, by the way. They would remove um, him winning after he was found to be a murderer. Around 1971, Robert kicked everything up a bit of a notch. He would start his spiral into rape and murder. Again, guys, I have some really conflicting information, but I still really think it's important to go through because I think we do need to sort of see where the patterns start. He would kidnap Susie Hepburn, 18, from her apartment. He would hold her at gunpoint, and he would be charged with assault with a deadly weapon. Despite his criminal background, he would end up only serving three months in prison. But during this time, his wife, Dala, would visit him and continue to be married to him in spite of him being verbally abusive to her and the kids. So just just days after his release, Robert would kidnap and rape a topless dancer. Now after raping the girl, he would pull the car over, pointed a gun at her and told her to run. She would beg for her life And after agreeing to give him the name and addresses of her family, he would let her go after this. Now, guys, remember the fact that he pointed a gun at her and he told her to run because this is sort of where that hunting instinct comes in and this is where we start seeing some of a little bit more pattern of where he's going in life. In December 1971, Robert would be arrested again, this time uh, one for abduction and an attempted rape of a housewife and the other was the rape of a prostitute. He would plead guilty to assault with a deadly weapon for for the housewife, but unfortunately, as a part of the plea agreement, the rape charges against the prostitute were dropped. This makes me feel particularly sick because a woman was raped and there's no consequences and there's nothing holding him accountable to make sure that she got some justice. Because surely... She'd want some justice for what was done to her. I just find that really appalling. Now, Robert would be sentenced to five years, and again, he'd be released early and into a work program just after six months. Uh, He would also be released into a halfway house. Now, guys, all through this, he is still married to Darla, and she stood by him. I'm not sure I could do that myself. Unfortunately, for the women of Anchorage, Robert Hansen, he would end up becoming a lot more selective with his victims. He would pick runaways, sex workers, and topless dancers. Now, many of these victims would be transients, and they'd come to Alaska, and Anchorage in particular. They would want to be escaping their normal lives. Some of them were runaways escaping from things that they couldn't talk about. I don't like to put anyone in a category But the one thing I found about most most of his victims, their families were actually unsure of where they were. Now, that's not to say all of them, but that's where it was difficult to know if they were missing and for how long. The murders were said to have begun around 1972. Robert was a sketchy man, though, so it was really hard to know if he was actually telling the truth about when those murders started. Now, this is where our timeline is going to become a bit askew. But during the last component of this podcast, I'm actually going to go through the victims and also a timeline so that this particular component makes a little bit more sense because it doesn't flow as naturally as it should do, but hopefully it'll make more sense. I'll be showing photos in the background so that we can see who we're going to be talking about. So just try and keep up with me guys. In 1977, he would once again end up in prison. This time for the theft, have a chainsaw of all things, because a chainsaw seems right. Sure, uh, he would be prescribed lithium to control his mood swings, but he was never ordered to take it. So God knows why you'd prescribe a drug like that and then not be told to take it. I'll never know. Now I think lithium. I, I, I again, I'm making a presumption. I think lithium's her bipolar. So I'm not really sure though. Now he would be sentenced to five years, but Robert would end up appealing his sentence and end up only serving a year. But upon his release, he would end up opening a bakery. Guys, I don't know officially when the murder started, but the presumption would be when the missing persons reports increased, which was already by about the mid-70s. He had a really horrible ruse for getting his victims. Uh, Sometimes he would portray uh, himself as a photographer he would offer them money in some way, shape or form to lure them in. So he'd pick sex workers, sex workers, sorry, topless dancers in particular because it was a fairly easy way to use money as bait. Now he would usually use his gun to scare and force them to do whatever vile things he'd had planned and he would restrain, torture and rape them. Now, after these vile acts of depravity, he would then make it even worse if he had decided to kill them. He would take them in his plane and take them to a secluded area in the wilderness and give them what he called a head start before he'd hunt down and kill them. He used his skill of hunting and his advantage of knowing the woods in the wilderness And these girls stood absolutely no chance of escape and no chance of living. Unfortunately for Robert though, the coming years would lead to his downfall and arrest. Happy fall for mine. At the end of this story, I'm gonna take us through those list of victims. Um, I do wanna say one thing before I start anything further. Robert Hanson, he'd end up confessing to the murder of 17 girls. Now only 12 of these victims have been found at this stage. But given the terrain of the Alaskan wilderness, I'm not really this surprised. He would also confess to over 30 murders. I'm um, sorry, 30 rapes. What a disgusting excuse, as far as I'm concerned, for a human. Now, he would go on trial. For, uh, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't end up going on trial for each of those 17 victims. He'd rather, so he'd rather be convicted on those four counts of murder. But we're going to discuss that a little bit later. But I'm just giving you a little bit of a headline. At some point in 1980, a body was discovered in a shallow grave on the Aklutna Lake Road in Anchorage, Alaska. Unfortunately, animals had taken most of the remains and no real evidence could be identified. Police would end up having to do a facial reconstruction and they'd spread it wide and far, but this particular remains have not been identified even to this day. She would be named Eclutna Annie rather than be called Jane Doe. Sometime later that year, another body was found, but they were able to identify, identify her this time. This is Joanna Messina. Now she was a topless dancer. And not that that matters, by the way, guys, it doesn't matter what your occupation is. Um, her body was so badly decomposed that there was very little evidence found again. But things were starting to escalate bodies were being found and girls were, went missing with very little explanations in september 1982 two of the off two off-duty police officers would spend an afternoon hunting near the nick river now it was decided for, for whatever reason that they were going to call it quits and while they're walking along the river they would spot something and it would just it just seemed really peculiar to, peculiar to them So they would take a closer look and see that it was a partially decomposed bone joint. Now knowing what they knew and not to disturb a scene, they would go back, remember the location and the body would be identified as 23 year old Sherry Morrow. Now Sherry had been reported missing a year before, but this is just one of the many girls who had gone missing during this time. She'd been shot in the back three times. Now, it was a possibility that the murder weapon was a two-two-three Ruger Mini 14 hunting rifle. Remember this particular Ruger. Something that's been pointed out that was a little bit strange. Now, even though Sherry was fully clothed, there were no bullet holes in her clothes. So this would mean that she'd been shot while naked and then redressed. Seems a little bit strange, but definitely something you'd remember, right? The police were starting to connect the dots And they're starting to think that Sherry's murder is related to the missing girls and the other dead bodies. Over the past couple of years, there had been quite an increase in the number of missing girls. And most of the women that had gone missing, as I said before, were topless dancers or sex workers. I think that was the reason there wasn't much of an investigation into the girls' disappearance. They were seen as transients or possible runaways. And it's a terrible attitude for the police department to have but I do think it's an attitude that sometimes gets, gets in the way of really good judgment. If the murders did happen to be connected, the police didn't want the killer knowing that they were aware of him, but Robert Hansen's next move would actually prove to be his undoing and it would ultimately lead to his, his arrest. Before I continue this story, though, it may disturb some listeners or viewers. On June 13th in 1983, Robert would meet a young lady by the name of Cindy Paulson. Now, there's differing reports on her age, but it does range from 17 to 19. Either way, way too young for a life of prostitution. He would offer her $200 for oral sex, into which she agreed, and she would get into his pickup truck. Once inside the truck, he would pull out a 357 Magnum and he would place handcuffs on her. Uh, He would take her to his home and he would drag her down to his hideous basement with all those animals hanging off the walls and you can see that in the background. Tell me as a scared teenager that this wouldn't frighten the crap out of you. Now, she would be raped and tortured for hours. He would find numerous ways to, to just hurt her. But after he was, you know, having a time out from harming her, he would go and lie down on the sofa and have a nap. I honestly don't know how you can sleep after doing what he's done, but I'm not a psychopath, so that's never going to make sense to me. Once he awoke, he told her that they were going to be going to his cabin. She was told to get dressed and she'd be uncuffed briefly from the pillar that he tied her to, but he would recuff her once she was dressed. Now, Robert would lie to Cindy and he would say that he'd taken plenty of girls up to his cabin for fun. Given how many bodies have been found, I think his version of fun is perverse and certainly not fun for women at all. She knew better and as soon as she saw, as soon as she saw a chance to escape, she took it. Cindy ran for it. He was shouting at her and she ran away, stop you bitch, stop or I will kill you. Now, she ran as fast as she could and a truck driver happened to be passing by and he just saw a young girl terrified and running at him with handcuffs on her wrists. He picked her up and he took her to a nearby hotel. The police were called. Cindy would tell them what she had endured. Now, she would be taken to the hospital and she would be examined. She would be able to provide details about his truck, the house, and even his plane. She would also mention that she had left her stinkers in his car as she ran away the police were really hoping she'd be able to identify the plane on site uh which she actually did now they would soon learn that that pla- uh, sorry they would soon learn that that plane belonged to robert hansen and that he owned a bakery in town now they would soon arrive at the hansen home and he would actually robert would deny any harm to sydney but he would admit that he'd they'd had an encounter. Now, he accused her of trying to bribe him out of more money, and this is why she'd made this allegation. He would quickly agree to come to the station to be interviewed. He would provide an alibi and say that he'd been with two of his friends, which his friends would corroborate, and he would then agree to let them search his house and his car and his aeroplane, like just do a spot search, I'm guessing, but it was it was all cleared up and they couldn't find anything to back up Cindy's story. Now, even with his criminal past, now he's got a past of rape and kidnap, but it, it's still, and what happened to Sydney, uh, Cindy, sorry, and her story, they did believe she'd been in the house, but because he was quickly believed as a respected local businessman, it just seems like Cindy wasn't really believed, Right or that and and the alibi probably didn't help right guys not long after this another body was discovered this time it'd be on the banks of the nick river now she was quickly identified as another one of those missing girls another dancer by the name of paula goulding it appeared as though she'd been killed in the same manner as sherry morrow even down to the redressing of the victim the police were now definitely beginning to suspect that they had a serial killer in the midst. There was still some real suspicion from other officers around Robert Hansen. So some officers, given his past crimes, thought he was definitely guilty of the rape and kidnap of Cindy. The police, were sh- uh, they were sure there was a serial killer, but given the way they'd handled the last serial killer, they really needed to get this one right. Now, before the butcher banker between 1979 and 1981 serial killer thomas richard Bundy murdered at least five women once the police had identified him he was already on the lam and soon after the warrant for his arrest was issued he would commit suicide by driving his motorbike into a truck now they definitely couldn't afford to have another incident like this they needed to make sure that they caught this person and that he was properly sentenced reports were starting to indicate though that robert was a suspect there was a task for task force formed because they would already started to speculate you know that there was a serial killer but before they could move forward they decided to call in an expert now special agent john douglas Now uh, he had retired from the fbi at this stage now he was instrumental in creating profiles of criminals And fun fact for the day, uh, the TV show Criminal Minds. Claire, this one is for you. Uh, The characters Jason Gideon and David Rossi are loosely based on him. And there's also a TV show that I absolutely loved. It's Mindhunter on Netflix. There's a character based on him as well. Now, he would create a department in the FBI known as the BAU, so the Behavioural Analysis Unit. It's very, very specific to criminal profiling. A pretty cool dude, if you ask me, and he's got loads of books if you're interested in learning more, as well as numerous podcasts on him. So if you'd like to learn more about him and his profiling and his take on serial killers, he's got some pretty cool history around it. Anyway, I'm sorry about that. Uh, Let's get back to him helping with the profile profile of this serial killer that had been terrorising Alaska. Now, John Douglas put it in his book, Mindhunter, inside the FBI's special elite crime, serial crime unit, a really, really thorough profile on Robert Hansen. But I'm just going to summarise it. Now, he would base his profile on the details of the case and the injuries specifically to the victims. The profile would say <clears throat> that the killer was an experienced hunter with low self-esteem and a history of rejection from women. Another couple of factors were mentioned that he was likely to keep souvenirs, <clears throat> and that he possibly had a stutter. The thing that caught me probably most by surprise was the level of detail a profile can go. John highlighted that the serial killer would have an acne problem as a teenager. That specific detail in a profile was just pretty incredible to read. Like I guess you could interpret it and, and make it about him, but it was just really, really cool to see it. Before they could get a, an, a warrant for Robert's arrest, they would need to poke holes in that pesky little alibi that he had for Cindy's, sorry, Cindy's rape and kidnap. The police would re-interview those friends and they threatened charging them with perjury. Well, that seemed to work really well because they would quickly admit that they lied on behalf of their friend. Now, due to no alibi, the profile and Cindy's allegations, a warrant was soon issued to search Robert's plane vehicle and home. Now I think this would have been a lot more thorough uh, search than the one that they'd done previously. So on October 27th, 1983, the police would ask Robert Hanson to come down to the station for more questioning. They would spend the day searching absolutely everything and they'd end up finding a hidden space in his home with just a trove of evidence. What they would discover would lead them to 12 victims and the evidence included a 552 rifle, a pistol, a map with X marks, jewelry, and various IDs belonging to the victims. But perhaps the most crucial evidence was that 223 Calibre Mini 14 Ruger hunting rifle. Now the police would match the ballistics of that rifle to Sherry Morrow and Paula Goulding. The X marks on the map, which you can now see on the screen, would correspond to where they would find 12 bodies. Specifically, already they had found a body, uh, Joanna Messina, and her body just happened to be one of those X marks. There would be 24 X marks in total. Now, Robert hansen he's a bit of an odd one. Usually when a serial killer has been apprehended, they can't wait to talk about their murders and their victims. They like to feel that, Fame that they get associated with and they get lots of recognition. He would initially deny any involvement in the murders and he would request a lawyer and flat-out refuse to talk. Once all the evidence, though, it had been compiled, he realised that he needed to make a deal. And, oh boy, was it a deal that they made. His lawyer and the Anchorage DA would work out a deal that agreed guarantee that Robert would only be charged with the four murders that they knew about this would be in exchange for a full confession it also included that he would serve his sentence at a federal facility rather than a maximum security prison I'm guessing that is because it would be a little bit more cushy I I don't know Um, but he would end up confessing to 17 murders as I said before and raping over 30 women over a period of 12 years, but he would only be convicted of those four. After I finish discussing his confession and his sentence, we're going to go through those 17 victims and specifically their murders, because their voice needs to be heard. Robert during his confession would describe how he got those girls, kidnapping and, and killing process, um, very, very, very similar to what he um, had, di- had done to Cindy Polson. So he would, once he had the girls under control, he'd fly them to his cabin, he would take them to the woods, he would make them strip naked, and then he'd play a game of cat and mouse. Truly a disgusting human. He did say though, that the ones that complied to his requests, he would let go once he threatened harm to them or to their family. Now, I'm not sure if that's true or not, I actually think it's just a luck of the draw with these victims. Of the 12 bodies that were found, only one of them remains unidentified, and that's Iklutna Annie. In 2021, 37 years after she was found, a victim that they dubbed originally Horseshoe Harriet was identified as Robin Pelkey. Thankfully, her family has some sort of closure They know where she is and what happened to her rather than living in a land of what ifs. On February 18th, 1984, Robert Hansen would plead guilty to four counts of murder and just a week after that he would be sentenced to 461 years plus life without any chance of parole. This sentence would be carried out at the Lewisburg Penitentiary in Pennsylvania. And in 1988, he would be returned to Alaska and spend the rest of his miserable life in Spring Creek Correctional Centre. He would die of natural causes in 2014, a death way too good for this man, way too good. Now next we're going to go through those 17 victims. There, are, Whilst 12 have been found, there are still bodies out there, but unfortunately The Alaskan wilderness is vast and cruel, and I'm not sure they'll be found, which is really sad for their families. I really, I really do truly feel sorry for them. Now, apparently this is his first victim, Celia Beth Van Senten, 18 years old, and she was at home with two of her three older brothers on December 22, 1971. The three of them would share a house in South Anchorage, uh, very close to Northern Lights Boulevard. Um, her parents resided in a different home in Anchorage, uh, late one evening, she left the house and would walk a few blocks just to a nearby supermarket. Now it closed at around 9 PM and she left at 8.30. Now between 8.45 and 9 PM, a witness spotted her going into that supermarket, but around 9 PM, a neighbor would claim to have spotted her on Northern Lights Boulevard. She never reached the supermarket apparently, but I, lots of speculation and not a lot of information around it. Her disappearance was reported two days later. On Christmas day, her body was discovered in one of the parks close to Anchorage. Now her chest had been sliced with a knife and she'd been bound and subjected to horrible sexual assault. She'd been dumped, still alive, into a deep ravine before even passing away, but it was exposure that ended up killing her. Now, according to forensic evidence, she actually attempted to climb back out of that slope and was unable to do so due to her bindings. Robert would be accused of killing her because of an X on his aircraft map, but he denied any involvement in her death. Mm. But I'm just, I'm just not sure about that, but it is speculated. Megan Siobhan Emmerich, she would be 17 when she vanished in 1973. She was last spotted leaving a dorm laundry room while attending boarding school. She's not been, she's not been seen or heard of from since, or she, she left everything behind, including her identification. But before contacting the police, her roommate conducted a three-day search for her. Now, get this right, guys. He denied killing her to authorities, but he did admit that he was there in that area the day Megan vanished. And due to an X on his aircraft map in that particular region, he is definitely thought to be responsible. But apparently, he did actually admit to an inmate that he transported Megan To his cabin that was only reachable by boat where he would kill her and bury her. She has not been found. In 1975 there is Mary Kathleen Phil. Now she was aged 22 and she would also disappear uh, in Alaska. Her husband was away uh, working on the pipeline and she was driven into town by a friend and she would be dropped at the local bakery. I wonder whether that was the Hanson Bakery. Between one thirty and 2, a different acquaintance would see her um, again, just in town, but she's not been seen or heard of since. Now, he did acknowledge being in that area when she vanished, but he denied killing her again. Now, an ex, again on his map, is definitely in that area, and he would admit to killing her and discarding her body in, uh, like, right where that map said. But this was according to another, this was according to a former prisoner. Now, the remains of Eklutna Annie they were discovered next to a power line. Um, Hansen would admit to stabbing her in the back after she would made an effort to flee from his car. He wasn't sure whether she was a topless dancer or a sex worker. Um, he also claims around this time that she was his first murder victim but he's also said he started murdering in 1972 so yeah I'm 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 not really too sure about that one that one sort of perturbs me because I don't think that was definitely his first murder now Joanne Messina, she would end up going out to dinner with Robert, So, and that was while she was working. Um, So before she offered him sex in exchange for cash, he claimed that everything was going smoothly. Now, he refused to pay for her services and he refused to release her. So he drove her and her dog to a distant place uh, just by the Snow River and he would hit her with a 22 calibre revolver um, before shooting her um, and the dog as well, which I, I really don't want to get into too much. But he would bring her body to a gravel pit nearby and he would also bury the dog with her. And her belongings were thrown into the woods um, and the gun was apparently thrown into the snow river. Again, Guys, I'm not really sure whether we're getting all the details on everything, but she would be severely decomposed by the time that they found her. In 1980 again, Roxanne Eastland, 24 years old, she vanishes. Now, she'd been residing at a budget uh, motel in Anchorage, Alaska with her boyfriend for the last couple of weeks. But on this day in particular, she was scheduled to meet an unknown man uh, downtown she'd not been heard of or seen since. And although Robert admitted to killing her, her body has never been discovered. So that's really sad for her family. So she'll be one of those exes that they've not been able to find. At a nightclub that she worked in, uh, Lisa would meet and be subsequently kidnapped by Robert, again in 1980. Now, when the 41-year-old failed to return home, Uh, following her shift at the club, her two younger housemates, they would report her missing. Now, her body was discovered in 1984 and it was buried to a gravel pit uh, just near a bridge. He admitted to her murder. Now, Sherry Morrow, uh, she was that 23-year-old that had been one of those bodies that had been discovered and that he'd been convicted of. Now, she would receive $300 for nude images and told friends that she was seeing a photographer. Now she would never be seen again, but a shallow grave was obviously discovered guys, and they would end up quite quickly being able to identify her, which I think for her family, that would have been pretty amazing. I think it's really, really difficult to just go through all of these murders and just hear the atrocities that these women went through. Like, at what point did he just not think that this was a good way to develop his anger and take it out on these women? And especially these vulnerable victims who obviously were in dire need of money and they would do anything and they'd get in these cars, right? And they would just, like, seriously, they would get in these cars. And I can't even imagine being so desperate for money that I would get in the car with a guy who seems to be, and by the way, guys, like I'll put his photos up at the end of this. He just looks sketchy. Like nothing about him for me would mean that I'd want to get in that car. Like it's just, it's just really sad that this is what these women had to experience in their last moments. Like just pure terror. Like just absolute terror. I, yeah, I just can't even imagine. So I'm sorry. I got really sidetracked there, but it was just, yeah, I just don't understand. I do these podcasts and I just think, oh my gosh, like, it's just, it's just really horrible. Really, really horrible. (sighs) Okay. So our next victim, and I'm so sorry. Our next victim was in 1981 now her name was Andrea Mona Fish now she was last seen boarding a taxi to go to a mall Uh, she'd intended to meet an unnamed male uh, for a photo shoot and to perform some exotic dances she has not been seen or heard from since and when authority so when those police uh, searched his house they found a lot of her possessions Uh, It would include some jewellery and he claimed that after he met her, he threatened her with a gun and abducted her, uh, blindfolding her and handcuffing her. Now, they took a car to a service road. Um, He unbound her and he raped her and he killed her with a twenty-two Browning automatic pistol after she'd retaliated. He then stole her necklace and he weighted down a duffel bag with gravel and he tied her her and threw her off a bridge now her body also has never been found sue luna a 23 year old exotic dancer she voluntary voluntarily agreed uh, to do another photo to do a photo shoot now she met him in a parking lot the following day she'd been reported missing and same old story guys he abducted her and then he buried her now she was discovered in 1984 and Yeah, it's just, again, guys, like, uh, just horrific what she went through. She'd flee into the forest and he would hunt her like an animal. And she was naked all during this time. Now comes the story of Horseshoe Harriet, otherwise known as Robin Pelkey. She was 19 and she was found in 1984. Now, she was found close to Horseshoe Lake, hence her nickname, and it was determined that she'd been stabbed and shot it's not known if there was any sexual activity um but it, that was his particular forte right but in 2021 uh it, genealogy was used to identify her um it was just it it's just really good that she was able to go home uh, now, Delin sugar Renee, she was a 22-year-old uh, resident of Anchorage and she was last seen uh, in late 19, sorry, in early 1983, but she wasn't immediately reported as missing. Um, she was buried as a Jane Doe in an Anchorage cemetery after her body was found by the Nick River in 1985. And it wasn't until 1989 that she was identified when an Alaskan state trooper recognised her jewellery Um, And that was actually found in Hanson's house. And Paula Goulding, one that he was actually convicted of again, that was in, uh, she disappeared in April 1983. Guys, I think I've sort of gone through what most of them went through, but he drove her to his aircraft and he shackled her and he demanded that she exit the vehicle under threat of being shot and she fought him all the way to the bank. Like she fought him as much as she could and it was only when she was running away that he would end up killing her. Um, she'd only just been wounded in the back when he initially shot her and because her clothing was um, clean, um, that's why she was still naked because uh, he couldn't he couldn't find it. Um, which again, guys, it's not an explanation but it's just really horrendous that this is what these women went through. Um, The next victim, thankfully, she was living, was Cindy Polson. Um, And obviously, we have talked about her and her experience and just how horrendous that truly was. Um, But I don't think we need to recount that. Um, Definitely, we've been through it. So, but, yeah, I just, again, guys, this is just reading and hearing this out loud. It's just not... Quite the same for me. Like it's just a really horrendous experience. Like the more I read about it, now in July 1981. So we're going to go. We, it's sort of askew the um the timeline. Malay Larson. She was aged 28. She'd been reported missing. Her body was discovered uh, just near a parking lot, and he confessed to that murder. Now, dancer Teresa Watson, she was last seen in 1983. Uh, She'd informed her roommate that she was about to meet a man that would give her $300 in exchange for an hour or two of his company. Uh, He had admitted to abducting and killing her, and her body was discovered in 1984. Now, 24 year old Angela Thurden. she was last seen on 4th Avenue in 1983. Now she wasn't reported missing until May and the owner of a nightclub actually reported that she was missing because it was one of his dancers. Now she was kidnapped by Robert and he murdered her, very similar experience, now her body was found. Now 20-year-old Tammy Peterson, she was a dancer in Anchorage her family was the ones that reported her missing because they were well aware of what she was doing with her life and she used to do check-ins. Now, she had claimed that she'd been offered money, uh, very similar to everybody else, right guys, uh, to get some photographs and she was kidnapped and murdered as well um, by him and it was, he confessed and pointed to her body on uh, one of those maps. So that is the list of his victims, guys. And I'm just appalled at how much I've actually spoken on him. But I really, I do hope for those families um, that they do find those bodies one day. But thank you all for listening. And if you like this podcast, hit that subscribe button or hit the like button or tell me what else you'd like to hear, guys. But I hope you have a fabulous day and Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays.